If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. I don't typically title my sermons. If you look at them online, you'll see that it's simply the text, and I believe that's adequate. But if I had to title uh, this morning's sermon, I would title it something like, um, This Sermon is Illegal in the Baptist Church. Uh, This Sermon Should Never Be Preached in the Baptist Church. Something along those lines. I think you'll see why as we go through Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, I invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the Word of God. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well... Did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going to into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. You may be seated. Tom Rayner, who is president of Lifeway Christian Resources, which is kind of the publishing and book arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, 
One of his key roles is uh, in research, and recently, a couple of months ago, he published a list of the top ten most closely guarded traditions in the church. These things are held tightly to, and we understand that as we look across our culture and the culture of churches, that they have caused a lot of fighting and strife in churches in times gone by. Rainer writes that a tradition is neither inherently good nor bad. Its value or its distraction in a given church really depends on how members treat the traditions. I want you to hear this list and think about these things, these top ten things that are most closely guarded as traditions in many churches. He says, first, worship and music style. Second is the order of the worship service. Third is the times of the worship service. Fourth is the role of the pastor. Fifth is committee structure. Sixth is specific ministries and programs. Seven is the location of church facilities. Eight is the specific use of rooms. Nine is business meetings. And ten is staff ministry descriptions. Think about these ten things and there are countless others and the role that they play in the church, the role that they have taken on in many churches to the point where these things, whether all ten or just some of them, are what ultimately define many churches. And yet, oddly enough, as you look through this list of ten, they have few that are impacted directly by the biblical text. The Bible does not describe the order of the worship service of the early church. It does not describe the type of music that they used. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, music is not mentioned at all. There's a lot of singing that goes on in the New Testament, but music is never specifically mentioned. What is the time that people should meet for worship? I'm amazed at the number of people that ask me, is 9 o'clock too early? When I came to be your pastor, I wondered if that would be the case. And depending on what Sunday, especially rainy Sundays in April when I've been up late on a Saturday night, I wonder how great a time 9 o'clock is. And yet 9 o'clock gives us freedom that other churches don't have at 11. What time does the Bible say we should worship? It doesn't. It doesn't say at all. What ministries, specific programs are listed in the Bible? None. There are ministry things that we take on, but there are no programs listed in the Bible. How many business meetings or staff descriptions are listed in the Bible? Few. Very few. And yet, some of these are held on to very closely by the church. Some people would leave the church if these things were changed. I have a friend who is moving his service till 10.30 in the morning. And it was an immediate outcry. How will people in the community know what time we are having church if we change it from 11 to 10.30? These traditions are very important to people. And yet, we realize as we see this text this morning that traditions can be very dangerous. They can cause harm to the body of faith. And they can do disservice to the Word of God. In our text this morning, Jesus interacts with a group of religious leaders who are sold out to their traditions. They have bought into them wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, for them, their traditions reign supreme to anything else. 
Their traditions oversee everything that they do. They direct their life. They direct how they teach other people. And they have the expectation that everyone else will follow their traditions. And anyone who doesn't is simply not being faithful to their religious beliefs. I want us to explore this this morning. What Jesus says in this text about traditions. Because we have to be careful in how closely we guard the traditions that we often hold very dear. Because we have to realize that they may not be the best. They may not be what God has prescribed for us. I'm amazed that some churches who have done things for years and years, some for over a century, and when they begin to explore it, they do not understand the root cause of the tradition, and they do not understand the biblical implications of the tradition. As a matter of fact, we see that some denominations and other religious groups have held on to their traditions for centuries, and yet they have no biblical basis whatsoever. So as we look at this, let's look at what happens with traditions. What traditions do to the church and who traditions are for. As we begin in verse 1, what we see are that traditions are important for the religious. Traditions are important for the religious. The Pharisees gather to him in verse 1. Some of the scribes have also come from Jerusalem, and they are here having this interaction. They're always following after Jesus, trying to trip him up, trying to catch him in a lie, trying to get him to misstate some claim or or catch him in a contradiction. And this is no different right here. They're viewing what is going on, and they see that the disciples are eating with their hands not washed. Now, we understand if we look at the Old Testament that there are many ceremonial washings. There are different uh, things that are to take place as, as someone is eating or someone is in worship. And those things are prescribed in the Old Testament. And therefore, for the Jewish people, were very important. But what we read here is they were not holding on to, as verse 3 says, this hand washing that was holding to the tradition of the elders. For the Pharisees and the scribes, this tradition of the elders was their most important tradition. These were the things that had been handed down generation after generation that the people before them had done. Does this sound familiar? In many Baptist churches, does this not sound familiar? Well, my mother did it this way, or my grandfather did it this way, or my great-grandfather did it this way. This is how they did it, and we do it now to continue to honor them. That's exactly what was happening here. The Pharisees and religious leaders had had these traditions handed down from rabbis in, in decades past and in centuries past, and they'd continue to hold to these things, and for them, they had become equal with God's Word. They had become equal with the law of God, and so it was expected that everyone was going to do these things just like the religious leaders. And so they ask, why? Why is it that they do not do these things? Why do they eat with hands that are defiled and unwashed? Why are they not keeping with our traditions? As a matter of fact, Mark goes on to tell us there in the parentheses that they go on to observe other things, such as the washing of cups and pots. That doesn't mean that Jesus' disciples always ate out of dirty cups and dirty pots, Uh, but simply that they did not hold to these traditions, 
And they did not go through the ceremonial washing of these things. They just washed their dishes. They didn't have to make a big deal about it. So the, the Pharisees asked in verse 5, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Why do they not do this? Isn't it important? Isn't it important to them? I remember at a church I previously served in, I was doing the Lord's Supper for the first time. And when I walked in, there was the, um, the white sheet that was covering up the Lord's Supper. And so it was taken off and folded up and set over to the side. And so I did the Lord's Supper. And when I got to the end, as I traditionally do, oddly enough, as I typically do, I, um, I said, well, okay, we're going to sing a song because the disciples sang as they finished the Lord's Supper, as they finished that Last Supper with Jesus. And, and so we're going to sing and greet one another and go out. And so we did. And afterwards, I got a tap on my shoulder. Preacher, we didn't cover the Lord's Supper back up. I said, why? We were done with it. We were going to just take the pans and, you know, we were all going to take the grape juice and get it finished and take the crackers and eat those and we were going to be done with it. No, we, we always cover it before and then uncover it, take the Lord's Supper and cover it back up. It's very important. I'd never heard of this. You know, I grew up in a, a large church. It, it was a pretty big effort to have the Lord's Supper. You had to have things spread out among six or seven hundred people. And so, you know, I never thought anything about this. We'll come to, to look and do some reading. Well, back a long time ago, you had to cover up the Lord's Supper. This was before we had fancy little, little things with a cross on top. You had to cover it up with a sheet. Why? To keep the flies off of it. It had to sit there through the entire service, and so you didn't want the flies landing on it. And this is a time when you, know, you didn't have good ventilation in churches. You didn't have air conditioning, and there were flies around, so you covered it up to keep the flies off. The church had just done that for years and decades, and quite possibly for them, over a century and it had become so routine that it was important. We had not done the Lord's Supper correctly until it was covered back up. That wasn't a problem. That's not a wrong tradition. It's not something that is against the biblical witness to do. And so what did we do? We just we covered it back up from then on. Not a big problem. But it was important to them because that's how they'd always done it. Traditions are important to those who are Religious, the people who wanted the Lord's Supper covered back up did not do so with wrong intent. But the Pharisees here, when they are attacking Jesus, they do so with the wrong intent. See, we need to understand that traditions are important to people of faith. Each church and each denomination has its own traditions and they are important. However, for those who are simply religious... And do not have a saving relationship with Christ. Traditions are the most important. Because religious people have placed their faith in tradition. It's traditions that give them their identity. Without those traditions they would have nothing. They are closely tied to the songs that they use. Or the location or the name of the church. All of these things are the most important for religious people. They would simply not be able to function if any of those things changed. 
Religious people find their justification in the clothes that they wear to church or the position that they hold in church. That's where they find their identity. That's what they see as most important. And if those things were to go away, they simply would be unable to function. That's why the religious leaders can't place their faith and trust in Christ. Because that would be to let go of their traditions. That would be to step back from all of these things that they have heard their entire life. All of these things that they have embraced. They would have to walk away from that and follow Christ. And they simply are unable and unwilling to do so. See, if anyone or anything tries to take away traditions from a religious person, they rebel. Because that's where they place their faith. A person of faith, when someone tries to take away their faith, someone tries to take away Christ, that is when a person of faith would rebel. But a person who has their identity in the traditions of their church will quickly rebel when any of that is taken away from them. They'll fight against it. I've been in churches where people have been in positions for 20 and 30 and 40 years And they're to the point where, because of their health, they're simply unable to do so anymore. But if you were to ask them to step away from that position and let someone do it who can do the job, it would cause World War III. Because they're scared. Because their entire identity has been wrapped up in that tradition. It's why, from time and again, we need a change. We need something different. We need to take on a different role in the church. We need to take on a different responsibility. We need to do something different. We need to change up something that we're doing. We need to move our service from 1030 to 9. Why? Because we don't want to be identified by our traditions. We want to be known by our faith in Christ. The Pharisees couldn't do that. They could never embrace that because they had been defined by this well-thought-through tradition that had been handed down to them. Traditions are important for religious people. But let me promise you that they will not be nearly as important for people of faith. If we walked in next Sunday and everything here was obliterated, tornado came through, Took it all out. Left the parsonage and my office, but other than that, everything's gone. (laughs) I really don't want to lose my books, y'all. I just want you to understand. So we call up the high school. We call up the elementary school. Hey, can we meet to worship next week at your church? Because ours is gone from a tornado. When we gathered in that place, we would still be the First Baptist Church of Eichard. Because that is a group of people. It's not a building. If you go into the lobby, you'll see that, that our church through history has taken on different forms as far as our building. If you go back and look, our church is almost 100 years old now. If you go back and look 100 years ago, the building was a lot different. And you can see over time where they've added to it at different points. And that's why we've got weird stairwells that go to odd places. Because instead of tearing it down, we just, we just let's add something else to it. But we've never been defined by our building. When I became your pastor, we didn't meet in this space. We're not defined by it. We need to be aware 
of what is important when it comes to the traditions of the church and the things that God has told us in His Word. Because if we become totally consumed by the traditions of the church, whether it's the traditions of the Baptist church in general or the traditions of First Baptist Eichard, we will become very religious, but we will become much less faithful. Traditions are important to those who are religious. Look, Next, as we go into verse 6, tradition leads to vain worship. Tradition leads to vain worship. He said to them, this is after they've made this case, why are your disciples not following after the tradition of the elders? He says to them then, in verse 6, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but in their heart they are far from me. What a stinging, stinging indictment. Here are the most religious people in Jesus' day. These are the most religious people. The Pharisees, in many ways, are more religious than the priests. Remember, the Pharisees are not priests. These are not pastors. These are lay leaders. These are people who have normal, everyday jobs, and yet they spend their free time reading and studying the Word of God. All their free time, they know, many of them know, the entire five first books of the Bible, the Torah, completely memorized. They understand Remember, to be a priest, you had to come from a certain family. To be a Pharisee, you had to commit yourself to the strenuous exercise of your religion. To trying to understand God completely. And yet, he says to them, even though they are super religious, they understand a lot about God, he says to them, this people honors me with their lips, but in their heart, but their heart is far from me. They went through the traditions. They went through the rituals. But their heart is far from God. To give you the example, in, in 2015 in the church, they were there every single Sunday. They came to every single uh, special service, every single Bible study. They participated in every single ministry. They were there all the time. They, in their giving, they gave 10% or more. They were, from the perspective of an outsider, the perfect church member. They were perfect. They, they were the exact type of person you wanted. You would hear a preacher say, I wish I had a whole church full of them. But the problem was, They could say the right things with their lips. They could express their understanding of God. They could look at the nuances of the Jewish faith and and express those to people. And and the outsiders, the, the common people around them would look at them and think that they were very religious. But in their heart, they were far from God. As a matter of fact, he says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of 
men. In vain, in vain do they worship me. They could come to the temple every single day. They could make their sacrifices. They could give their offering. But it was in vain because their heart was far from God. They had all the right answers. They were well-educated and well-instructed in the things of God. But they were far from Him with their heart. I think this describes too many of us. I know it often describes the condition of my heart. I've been to seminary. I know the right answers. I can, if I don't know it, I can at least talk long enough to convince you that I know it. And sometimes that's more impressive than knowing the right answer. But worship is all about the heart. And so when our heart is not attuned to the things of God, when our heart is not desiring the things of God, then it does not matter what kind of knowledge we have in our head, what type of things we are able to express with our lips. Our worship is in vain if we stick to and believe we are saved by the traditions of the church. Because see, these guys, they followed everything to the letter of the law. They followed everything. They didn't deviate to the left or to the right. They fully focused on following the tradition of the elders and the things that they believed God had laid out for them. But it led to vain worship. See, traditions and an unhealthy emphasis on traditions lead to vain worship. I've known people that if you change the color of the pews or the carpet, they would no longer be able to focus on the singing and the preaching because that would consume their heart. How sad is that? There are people out there who claim the name of Christ, but they would also claim that they would be unable to worship this morning because I'm not wearing a tie and a jacket. Something that, by the way, Jesus never did. Nor did Paul, or Peter, or anybody for centuries. But there are people who could not do so. There are people in the church, unfortunately who would say they could not worship because this morning we did not have an organ sitting on our stage. But there are others who would equally claim they would struggle to worship because we did not have a full band up here this morning. How sad is that? Because again, if you look at the Bible, which is supposedly important, there were no organs, There were no guitars, there were no PA systems, there were no microphones, and yet the people of the Bible experience authentic worship. See, I love it when sometimes we strip everything away, and it's just us. 
It's just our voices singing praises to our Creator. Because it's hard for the music or the microphones or the guitar or the organ or the keyboard to get in the way of our voices when they're not present. If we get caught up and wrapped up in our traditions, if they consume us and own us, then we will have vain worship. In fact, I would argue that any tradition that stands in between us and the authentic worship of Christ should and must be abolished, done away with. Take it out back and put it down. We cannot allow those things to stand in between us and God. We should often evaluate our hearts and explore whether we are caught in a routine of tradition or we are experiencing authentic worship. That's why I think sometimes little changes are good. That's why I like sometimes when we do two songs instead of three. We do four songs instead of two. When we, and we've only done this once, but when we have preaching first and the music last, why? Because it ensures that we are not in a routine because of our tradition. Because for Baptists, we can begin our traditions way too quickly. I've been here two years. We've been doing 9 o'clock worship for two years. It's almost a tradition. That's almost how we do it. We don't hardly remember anything else. We have to be cautious with all of those things because they can interfere with our worship. If you look in our bulletin, there is no order of service. That is not because we are lazy. That is intentional. Because we might just take a hankering to change it. We might just decide, you know what, we're going to add another song. We're going to take away a song. We're going to have a special time of this or that. Someone's going to share a testimony. If you are, if you are constrained by that order of worship, it's harder to do that. But we say, no, we're not going to do that. Let's be free of that. Christ wants us to come and to be focused on Him fully. And the more we can do to ensure that that happens the better off we are in our worship. Tradition leads to vain worship. But if we can overcome our traditions, overcome our shortcomings, we have the ability to experience authentic worship of Christ. And that is what he desires. It's what the Pharisees miss. He doesn't want their sacrifices and their rituals. He wants their heart. And that's the thing they kept from him. Because they thought that the things that came from their lips would be sufficient. The things that their actions did would be sufficient. But what Christ wanted was their heart. Traditions are important to the religious. Tradition leads to vain worship. And now as we move into verse 9. Tradition sets itself above God's word. He says to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And he gives this example in verse 10. He says, honor, Moses said, and this comes from the Old Testament, this is the word of God, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. God places a special emphasis on the family and especially in the respect that children should pay 
to their parents. He says, but you have this tradition in verse 11. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. There's this tradition and it finds root in the Old Testament, but not in the way that it's being carried out. As we read the Old Testament, we see that it is very important for people to keep their oaths. When you make an oath, you should keep it. Oaths have a lot of weight in the Old Testament. But here we have this oath that is made in this fictitious story that Jesus is telling, where this man takes his possessions and he makes an oath that they'll be dedicated to God. But he does so while his parents are still living, and by doing so, he says, and if you need something, mom or dad, it's too bad. Because I've dedicated this to God. And because this is dedicated to God, I can't surely give it to you. I can't help you out in your old age. I can't help to take care of you in your later years. I'm going to take these things, and they're going to be dedicated to God. Now, You and I, I think, as soon as we hear that, we see a a problem there. We see a, a contradiction. Why is it that God would tell us to honor our father and our mother, but then at the same time accept this commitment from us of our funds, of our resources, that would ultimately put our parents at a disadvantage in their later years? That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? That doesn't at all seem to be what God was desiring for us when we take our resources and we dedicate them to him. Surely we wouldn't do that with our children. You know, hey, y'all can't eat today because I got to give all this money to God. Now, sometimes when kids are misbehaving, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. It sounds like something you could write off pretty easy to them. Hey, no ice cream today. It's going to God. But they're doing it to their parents. This guy, he's doing it to his parents. He's, he's doing it to, to them in, in what appears to be a time of, of need. And so he says in verse 13, You've done this, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. He says, You have taken this tradition and you have twisted it to the point You no longer have to take care of your parents. You no longer have to provide for them because you're dedicating this to God. And yet it is a direct violation of what God's word has said. A direct violation of what God's word has said. Surely, surely people wouldn't do that. Surely people wouldn't would never take their tradition and let it overcome the word of God. Oh, but but we do. And we have. You look at the number of preachers, Baptist preachers that took their traditions culturally. In the 1840s and 50s and 60s. And twisted the scriptures to advocate 
Just because the Bible has the word slavery in it, and because the Bible talks about the responsibility of slaves if they are Christians to their master, does not mean that God advocates for slavery. And yet they do. Or they did. Those preachers stood and did so. Unfortunately, I'd like to say that all of those preachers are dead and gone, but many of them still exist. And they still advocate. In 2015, for segregation based on the Bible. It can't be found anywhere in God's Word. But they do. How about the number of people in churches, Baptist churches, some of them, that believe that there's only one translation of the Bible that is acceptable? In one translation of the Bible that is acceptable to them, I normally read one translation on a regular basis. You probably have a particular translation that you most enjoy. But because it's tradition in many churches to use one particular translation, many have taken it to be the Word of God that you must use one particular translation. Now, if you know anything about history, that's just silly. A 400-year-old translation for a 2,000-year-old religion is kind of a problem. I would, I would say that most people in our community would struggle to read a 400-year-old translation. I do. I have a doctorate. I had to read a lot of books to get that doctorate. I have a lot of trouble reading a 400-year-old translation. But I've seen statements of faith that talk about their belief in, in God, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, and in one particular translation. Friends, I don't care which translation you read. Some are much better than others, but if you pick up God's Word and read it, I'm proud of that. It's a tradition. It's not the Bible. Again, Many of the other things that I've already mentioned, times of service and style of music, all of those things are traditions. They're simply what we like and what we enjoy. And that doesn't make them wrong because we like that or enjoy that. The, the type of music I enjoy and the type of music you enjoy may be very different. I remember when I first talked to the search committee, and they were asking that question. And you know, it's always the, the worship wars question. Are you into traditional music or are you into contemporary music? But they didn't ask it like that. See, they messed up. If they would ask it like that, I could have gave, given them an answer. But they said, what type of music do you enjoy? I said, well, classic rock. <laughs> I think it took them a little off. I don't want to pick on Jeremy because he's not here, but I think he was sold at that point, which is good. It's all about how you ask the question, correct? But some of you don't like classic rock. You like country. I like country if it's Johnny Cash. But outside of that, country's dead to me. It just doesn't exist. I can take Garth Brooks some. Johnny Cash is my limit on country, and I love Johnny Cash. 
Some of you like Bob Dylan. Some of you hate Bob Dylan. I love Bob Dylan. That's our preference. It's our tradition. If you say Bob Dylan is terrible, are you correct? I don't know. Not according to a large number of people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all those other places, but sure. But some of you may say, hey, did you hear that new Taylor Swift song? And I would say no. (laughs) Not under any circumstances. That's your preference. And it's funny because we could talk about those things outside the church and they would never be a problem. But you talk about them inside the church. Well, I happen to like Chris Tomlin. Well, I happen to like Bill Gaither. I'm Chris Tomlin other than Bill Gaither. You knew that already. But which is right? Which is wrong? Is there any denying that Bill Gaither is a phenomenal influence on church music? No. But when I talk about hymns, I talk about John Newton and not Bill Gaither. John Newton writing a lot further back than Bill Gaither and writing Amazing Grace. Which is right? Well, neither one of them is right, and neither one of them is wrong. It's based on our preferences. But what traditions tend to do is they, as they're ingrained in us, as we learn to love them more and follow them more and we become more comfortable with them, we begin to place them in higher and higher and higher authority in our life. And too many Christians place them at equal standing or above the Word of God. There's people in churches this morning that do not care what is preached or said from the pulpit as long as their favorite song is played. They don't care. While others don't care about the music at all, it doesn't matter what the song is saying, it doesn't matter how wrong it is theologically, as long as the right version of the Bible is sitting on the pulpit. Do you see a problem with that? We've got to be careful. Because tradition loves to place itself above the Word of God. There are others. I don't want to go into these. We'll go on to the next point. But we we look at other denominations. We look at uh, the Catholic Church and things like that. And we just see see all of these things. We see these infant baptisms. We see these uh, robes that people wear. And they all become very important. And they're put up with the Word of God. I want to caution you with these sentiments. Be leery of these statements. Anytime you hear, we've always done it this way, or we've never done that before, be afraid. Be afraid. Because our main concern is what God's Word says. Not what we've always done, because we could mess up for a long time, right? It's possible to mess up for a long time. It's also possible to mess up by not having been doing something we should have always been doing. Our main concern is what God's Word said. And finally, here's our fourth thing. Traditions are important to religious people. Tradition leads to vain worship. Tradition sets itself above the Word of God. And tradition makes it easy to ignore heart conditions. Tradition makes it easy to ignore heart conditions. I'm not talking about the need for triple bypass surgery. But traditions 
can pretty up, if you will, problems of the heart. It's lipstick on a pig, if you will. He called the people together. This is after the incident with the religious leaders in verse 14 I'm reading. He calls the people again together. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going to into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So he teaches them this parable, if you will. And he enters into the house and left the people. His disciples asked him in verse 17 about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? So, by the way, a little aside, he's still telling them, how can you not understand this? I'm teaching you all of these things all the time. I'm pounding into your memory and you're still not getting it. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person, he says in verse 18... From the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his, his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Because from within the heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had been able to cover up their sin and their poor heart condition with their traditions. They had been able to go through the motions enough that everyone could look at them and think, okay, these people are okay. These people have it all together. These people have no problems. That was not the case at all. Here they had standing before them the Messiah. They had standing in their midst the chosen one of God, the one God had sent to save them from their sin, to save them from their traditions, to save them from the burden of the law. But they didn't get it. They missed it. Why did they miss it? Because their traditions had you will, their poor heart condition. Their traditions had, had helped them to avoid people seeing how ugly their hearts really were. It's amazing now what we can do with statistical analysis, where we can look at the activities and the lifestyle of people as they answer questions. Of course, you have to assume people are being honest and the negative things people say about themselves would make you assume they're being fairly honest. But if you look, what you see is oftentimes people in the church who seem to have it all together, who seem to be doing everything okay, who seem to be going through all the motions well, in reality have messed up lives. And if you look at that, you can see some of these denominations and some of these groups that have these deeply held traditions where the only thing they expect is that you go through the motions. You see that it's not working. Their families are destroyed. Their relationships are destroyed. 
Their finances are a mess. They're unhappy. They're depressed. Why? Because traditions mask the problems of the heart. When you have to be authentic, when you have to be real with people, when you have to be honest with God, you have to open up before Him and others, and you can't hide behind the traditions of a church or a denomination, it makes it more likely that either you're going to get out or that you're going to have faith. I know in traveling to... Central America, most people in that part of the world are Catholic. And you talk to the Baptist pastors down there and the people, there's no difference. Whether they claim to be Catholic or not, whether they claim to to go to church, to the Catholic church or not. Because it's become for them just this tradition where you go in and you stand when you're supposed to and sit when you're supposed to and kneel and you say the proper things and you cross yourself when you're supposed to. And for them, it's not authentic. I'm not saying that no Catholics have authentic faith. I'm not saying that no other denomination that has deeply held traditions has no authentic faith. But it makes it easy when all you have to do is go through the motions to just do it. But it's easy for Baptists as well. We can go through the motions. We can go through uh, the rituals and the traditions and make it okay when in fact we are not. See, it's easy to ignore the issues of the heart when we go through the routine of traditions. We can make everything look okay. We can make everyone think that we are better than we are. We can make people believe that we are more righteous than we are. When people looked at these religious leaders, they thought they were spectacular. These guys are great. They're very righteous. Look at them. Are they not standing in the streets and, and, and proclaiming and praying loudly and, and doing their, their chants and doing their mumbling? Oh, look how righteous they are. See, they look like it on the outside. And when we put our faith in tradition, we make it easy for us to look better. It's easy with tradition. If you want to fool everyone, if you want everyone to think that you're great, find a place that's got a lot of tradition and stick there. If you can learn the rituals and the tradition, you will look like the most righteous person in the room. However, tradition will ultimately leave us empty. Tradition has no power to save. None. That's why I caution people about some of the traditions that we've started in the Baptist church, especially when it comes to baptizing children. You say, we don't baptize infants. Okay, spectacular. But we baptize like three and four and five-year-olds. I think we need to be careful with that. When the Bible talks about having childlike faith, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about being a little kid and coming to faith. Childlike faith is a full dependence upon God as a child is to a parent. Just because we can get a kid to say a prayer doesn't mean they've come to faith in Christ. I can get mine to say anything I want them to say. As long as it's not something respectful, you know, they can't do that very well. But, but anything else, you can get them to, to repeat after you. That's easy to do. 
All of you could do it right now. I could have all of you right now just repeat something after me. It doesn't mean that all of you have magically come to faith in Christ. We need to be cautious with that. Because tradition has no power to save. That's why we help people understand that the baptism that we perform is believers' baptism. It's to someone who has already come to faith in Christ. It's to someone who's already put their faith and trust in Him. Why? Because it has no power to save. Traditions do not save people. And we need to be keenly aware of that. See, when we are too comfortable in our traditions, we will quickly and easily ignore our heart conditions, believing that our traditions will save us. What we do when we're having a problem with our heart, when we're struggling with our heart, is we will step back and say, well, it's okay because I still go to church every Sunday. It's okay because I'm still giving. It's okay because I'm still teaching. Even though I'm struggling with my heart, even though it's, it's killing me what is happening in my life, it's okay because I'm still showing up at church, I'm still participating. And friends, that will not save you. If you're here this morning because you need to follow a tradition to show up at church so you can feel better about yourself, it's not going to work. You're going to walk out there and you're going to feel bad again. You're going to walk out and you're going to be hurting again. You're going to be struggling because it will not work. And all it does is cause us to ignore the conditions of our heart. We keep saying it's okay. It's okay because I'm still, I'm still doing what I'm supposed to. It's okay because I'm still doing what a good Christian is supposed to do. It's, it's okay. As long as I keep doing this, it's going to get better at some point. It's going to get better. I'm going be, to find relief because I'm going through the motions, and that will not work. Jesus says that all the stuff you put in, it's not the food that defiles you. It's all the things that come out. It's all the things that come out of our heart. It's the destruction and the death that comes out of our heart. It's the sin that comes out of our heart that defiles us. And if we hold too fastly to these traditions, we will ignore those things. So I ask you this morning, where are your priorities when it comes to church life and your relationship with Christ? Do you put your hope in some tradition. Showing up at church is not a tradition. It's something that the Bible calls us to do, but it can become a tradition. Giving, again, is something God calls us to do, but it, be- it can become your tradition. It become your ritual. It can be- become that thing you do to make yourself feel better. Do you put your hope in traditions? Or in the teaching of God's word. See, outward appearances are easy to keep up. I've shared with you many times that when I was a teenager, a senior in high school, going into my first year of college, I had no faith whatsoever. But I showed up at church every Sunday. I was there every Sunday night as well. I showed up on Wednesdays and often taught my youth group something that I did not believe. Everyone that I knew all of my friends thought I was this great Christian. I was working at Bible camp. 
as leading kids to Christ, and I didn't believe. So I know it's possible. You can't say, well, preacher, that's just not possible. Nobody shows up at church every Sunday and doesn't believe they do. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and that's you. And I have great compassion for you because I have been there. And belief, I know, it does not come from simply showing up. It does not come from simply participating. And you want it to. You want it to be enough. You want to be able to show up and that be enough to fulfill you and get you through the week and get you through another day. But it's not enough. Where do we put our faith? See, Christ looks at the inside. He judges our heart. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He doesn't look at these rituals and traditions. He could care less. In fact, he hates them. See, they have no value. But he looks at our heart. He looks at our heart and he, he sees our struggle. He knows our needs. The great thing for us, if we are in faith in Christ, when He looks at our heart, He doesn't see our sin and our wickedness. He doesn't see this long list that Jesus gives to His disciples of all of these things that come out of the heart and there are countless others. But when Christ looks at our heart when we have faith in Him. What He sees is the blood that He shed on the cross for us. He sees the blood that He shed that offers us forgiveness. He sees the redemption that He bought by living the life that we could not live. He rejected the traditions and He rejected sin. He lived a perfect life where we could not. And now the blood that He shed on Calvary covers our heart. And when He looks at it, He doesn't see our sin anymore, but He sees the goodness and mercy that He provided us on the cross. And so He tells us loudly in our heart, don't worry about these traditions. Don't worry about these rituals. He says, have faith. Have faith. Concentrate on what my word says. Friends, we must hold loosely to our tradition and tightly to the word of God. Because in it we find salvation. In it we find the words of the wisdom of God. In it we find our redemption and our forgiveness. This is a message you can't preach in a Baptist church. Because we love our tradition. We love it. It's easy. It gets us through. It gives us something to look forward to. It gives us something where we know what's ahead. It's easier to plan. If we know our traditions, we know what we're supposed to do. We know where we're supposed to go. We know the way we've always done it. We know the things that we've never done. And holding on to them makes it easy. But friends, we can hold on to them at the detriment of God's Word. And so I would ask you this morning, what's your priority? 
What's your priority in your life? What's your priority in your heart? Is it following the traditions that have been laid out before you? Or is it embracing God's word? Is it saying to him, God, wherever you lead, that is where I will go. God, whatever you have for me, that is what I will do. God, whatever you have for our church, God, that is what we will do. Wherever you send us, however you send us, God, we will embrace it. God, we will go there. We will be your people. We will carry out your mission. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. It doesn't matter what we think we should do in the future. God, we will focus on you. This is a message that you can't preach in a Baptist church, but I pray to God that we hear His Word. Because we can get caught up in everything else and miss what God has called us to do. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you've allowed us to gather once again into your house, into your presence, to hear your word. God, my hope and prayer is this morning that we would be convicted of any area that we have allowed to become more important than what you have called us to do. God, I pray that you would help us to overcome any preference that we have that hinders your work. God, we as Baptists are a people with rich history and traditions. But God, if at any point they would come in between us and you, God, I pray that we would remove them quickly. God, that we would abolish anything that prevents us from knowing you, from following you, and from seeking your will and your plan. Lord God, there are some here who have placed their faith and trust in tradition. It's the only thing that they offer as evidence of salvation. It's the only thing they have to offer. It's the only thing that they have to place their hope and trust in. God, I would just pray this morning that you would, God, prick their heart, remind them of what is most important. Show them the emptiness of their tradition But God, the fullness of the grace and mercy they can have in Christ. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. And God, we pray this morning in the precious name of Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. It is a difficult thing. When we get to the point of realizing our tradition will not save us. But my hope is that if that is you, 
If you've always put your hope and faith in traditions and, and just carrying them out, if I, if I just come to church, if I just give, if I just participate, that's going to be enough, that's, that's going to save me. That this morning you would lay that down, lay that aside, and embrace the knowledge that only Christ saves. Only through faith in Him do we have salvation. It's found nowhere else. Our hope is found nowhere else. Again, uh, storms are coming tonight. A tornado could wipe this place off the map. If this is where your hope is, where are you going to be at tomorrow? If your hope is anywhere but in Christ, that will pass away and it will not save. But this morning you can call out to Him. And I would love to share with you how. If you need faith in Christ, if you need a relationship with Christ, as we sing, come, let me share with you how you can lay aside that foolish knowledge, that that wrong idea of the saving power of your traditions and how you can know Christ and the power of His salvation. Would you respond as we sing this morning?